Hello and welcome back. I'm Franny and you're listening to Into the World podcast where we talk about all things birth and motherhood. Each week I speak to a different parent about how their babies came into the world and how the journey unfolded. We share the good, the bad, the ugly and of course the funny bits. Because most of all, when things get tough, we all need a laugh. Happy listening. This podcast is kindly brought to you by Rascal and Friends Premium Diapers. Now that Briar Rose is here and I'm in the throes of new motherhood again, with three children and a high proportion of those kids in diapers, my love for the brand has only grown stronger. Rascal and Friends are premium in quality without the premium price tag. They're amazing for sensitive skin. For me and my family, it means that we go through less diapers, have fewer poo explosions, and the kids all look super cute in them. I haven't met a single person yet who's tried them and doesn't love them as much as I do, hence not switching back to other brands. They also do wipes now, which is even better news. They're 99% natural ingredients, they're fragrance-free, pH balanced, and they make the perfect combination for kids like mine who have sensitive skin. I dare you to go try them. If you live in Canada, get yourself down to Walmart, or if you're in the UK, you can find them in Tesco's. I promise you won't regret it. Um, There's just nothing better out there. And hopefully you can't hear the white noise and my newborn squeaking in the background. Either way, that's my life now. Happy listening. This week I'm sharing Emily's story. Emily's story is quite a long one. So I'm just going to dive right in and into our conversation so many things happen in Emily's story and it's really interesting and I feel like I can't do justice to them all in this little introduction I just wanted to say how much of a pleasure it was talking to her so many interesting things she's been through and so many different aspects to our story that we couldn't really touch on everything but we did our absolute best to squeeze as much in as we could so please stay tuned for all the twists and turns And Emily is actually very kindly uh, with Good Birth Co. Her her company that she runs is doing this week's giveaway. So she's going to tell us more about the giveaway in this episode. So continue listening for the giveaway details. And if you can't find them, follow the show notes or go to my Instagram and you'll be able to see how you can enter. But yeah, I'm just going to let us go straight into our chat this week. Thank you, Emily, for being so open and honest in all the different aspects of your story. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. And happy listening. Okay, so um, this week I'm talking to Emily. Um, Emily is from at Good Birth Co. We connected through Instagram and Mama Co. And I'm going to let her tell you a little bit more about herself what she does and then we'll get into her story Emily has well five children but much like me she's well I'm soon to be looking after three and she has three living children Kian Orion and Farrow right okay and you also lost twins in and amongst that called Alpha and Bravo so your kids are ranging from seven and a half and ten months yeah so yeah, you've been busy, <laughs> much like me. <laughs> we was busy. just talking about how we both probably feel like we've been pregnant forever or postpartum forever. And it's a lot. 
But we're going to kind of go through her story chronologically. And then Pharaoh, who was her most recent child, we're going to talk much more about the birth. So with that being said, we will get stuck in and I will let Emily talk a bit more about. Tell us about yourself before all of this. And then let's talk about uh, Good Birth Co. Because the other good thing to note this week is that Emily is going to be very kindly doing our giveaway. So I'm going to let her tell us what that is as well. But yeah, tell us about yourself and then we'll get into that after. Okay, sounds good. Uh, well, like you said, my name is Emily. Um, <clears throat> I am a nurse by trade, um, but I'm currently on maternity leave with um, my fifth uh, baby, my third that I get to keep at home. And I've been in love with birth forever. Um, I read about, you know, all of Ina May Gaskin's I was going to say, yeah, yeah. In high school. Yeah. Like, oh, I wow. I knew about pelvic ligaments and all of that stuff and her books are mesmerizing I find I've only read uh, two I think and yeah I just loved all the stories I think it was spiritual midwifery I read yes when I was 16. oh wow like, who in what yeah. world and so at that point I knew I birth called to me mm-hmm. in some way um I didn't know I thought it was as, as a midwife mm-hmm. um as I made my way through high school a little bit more I took a gap year and I thought about it, and midwifery is really hard to get into in okay. terms of the education in our province, uh-huh. as well as it's a hard lifestyle to live. And I, oh, didn't, yeah. I didn't know what I wanted my whole life to look like at that point. So I went into nursing, mm-hmm. and I fell in love with nursing and all of the opportunities that it held. And as I mentioned before, um, when I'm not on mat leave, I work with older adults with dementia in specialized care planning and behavior management. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, again, not where I thought I would be at the end of um, my education. But as I spent those years um, learning about nursing and healthcare, I really focused as much as I could on birth. Whenever there was an opportunity for kind of an independent study, that kind of thing, really dug deep. And okay. I also took an opportunity to spend seven weeks in Tanzania, which is um, an Eastern African country. Okay. And I spent um, seven weeks there in a busy labor and delivery ward. Wow. Between my second and third year of nursing. And what was that like? It was, was it quite primitive? Actually, yes and no. Okay. It was way more medicalized than I could have ever imagined, but in a very resource-poor environment. Right. So they were kind of trying to emulate um, like Western, Western care okay. without the adequate resources. Oh, wow. So they're not sort of following, um, I don't know, more like... Ida Mae Gaskin's sort of theory of home birth and you can do this all naturally and like we don't need any intervention they're kind of copying us but not I don't know it not doing it well or is um, it just not having the resources yeah it's resources and volume so okay basically they're set up there they would have maybe 60 to 70 women laboring in their antenatal space which was an open room with some benches Wow. Just waiting for a bed to a labor, like a delivery bed. So they're all in labor? Yeah. They show up wow. to the regional hospital from various, they could have spent days coming here. They could live locally. Um, so Arusha is the capital of mm-hmm. Tanzania, and that's the hospital that I was in. And so in the actual L&D kind of area, there were seven beds in one room, wow. which I'm, trying, I'm not very good with dimensions, but it wasn't a large space. Okay. Like you could touch the, the person in the bed next to you. Wow, wow, wow. And one nursing desk and no curtains between them. So you stood in the middle of this room and you saw seven women 
like naked from the waist down, laboring, giving birth. And I learned something really quick that when one of them started like to be going to transition, it was like dominoes. So you wow. made sure all of your trays were ready. At oh my first, God. I was like, wow. Fascinating. I thought it was some sort of like, you is know, it like the whole period thing where it's like you live in a house with how many women and you all start to like have That's your same mental style? I thought I had like come across this like fascinating thing. <laughs> Turns out when they kind of let everyone in batches and okay. then everyone gets an IV and everyone gets oxytocin and everyone like at the uh, same okay. people from one to one. So it made sense then when you kind of step back and you're like literally we're setting it's, you all up to, 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 to make this happen. Time. Yeah. Um, okay interesting so it's, it's less of a I don't know a natural thing it's more that you're pushing them yeah. all to be in labor at the same time and they're just they are being lined up like yeah. a domino almost and it, it was shocking like I thought it would have been that much more natural approach but it also showed me like they have a totally different issue at hand they have mm-hmm. 70 women waiting for a bed which is not something they average 30 to 40 births a day Wow. So that's just not. So I guess they don't have the resources to sit there and let it all play out naturally. It's Um, like we need to make sure you're all safe. Come on, let's get on with this kind of thing. And there's a lot, a lot of complications afterwards. But at the end of it, what I saw there was out of 71 births that I actually like had my hands on, like Mm -hmm. I was involved, I caught 20, about 20 babies and was the primary care provider for 20 births. Was that out of all of those situations, in such a resource poor environment, there were a lot of very good outcomes. Right. Um, a big problem for Tanzania, I will say though, is postpartum hemorrhage. So a right. lot of those women, even though the birth may have been a, a good experience, um, the follow-up care is very, very poor and difficult. But in terms of that instantaneous baby coming out, mom being good, baby breathing, um, and all of that stuff that we tend to hold as like our highest standard here. Yeah that happened wow. in a place that didn't have, you know, we didn't even have, um, well, we, were, on benches. we wow. were using fetoscopes, which are like things you put on your head and put on the belly. And then you feel the heartbeat, the baby's heartbeat tapping on your forehead. Wow. And it was so neat. This though. is like fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> How old was you when you did that? I would have been, uh, the summer before I turned 21. Oh my goodness. And so in that I What was, like a life changing experience oh, to do at that age. Like I can't imagine mind blowing doing that now. And I have to say it impacts my um, my nursing practice now. Even aside oh, from altogether, um, the way I look at our resources and how we use resources in um, healthcare is uh, it must feel so wasteful. It is because you look at these I wore the same gown, like covered my scrubs for days um sometimes and do you think that hygiene is necessary because sometimes I worry that um our need to be so perfect in those scenarios where like you're gonna get I don't know insurance companies coming to say oh will you use that gown twice therefore whatever um whether that waste is worth do you know what I mean like the balance and here again it's a very we're two very very different worlds and Mm -hmm. certain things like infection control I think there is a very important key piece there for Mm -hmm. sure um again super bugs are nothing to mess with Mm -hmm. however I think it's more of a mentality from the the staff point of view because I remember you know oh so and so needs a dressing change and they're in isolation so you'd pack up all the supplies you need and go into their room only to find out that there's already 
quite a few supplies in here because mm-hmm. the last person, the last shift did that. So now you can't take those supplies out of someone's room. So it's okay, just the that, protocol is a bit yeah, like it's just that general like as we where in Tanzania stuff. you you would make sure there's nothing in there first. Exactly, like you would not waste. And sometimes it was a choice between does mom get the oxytocin shot after to help prevent bleeding, or does she get lidocaine to for her stitches? Wow. And do you get one needle? So you okay. gotta decide. Hopefully she doesn't tear, and if she does, are you gonna freak? Like, it yeah. Was, what 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 is the most like damage limitation almost? Exactly. And okay. Things that you just would not have to think about here. And okay. Some care opportunities that I saw were like actual eclampsia, like facial swelling that was pitting that normally in a Western developed country, mm-hmm. you would never see it get to that point because of the care we have. Um, right. Again, some babies born that um, I have no idea, mm-hmm. absolutely no idea how, how they survived the, the birth itself because um, just, again, here we would know ahead of time and probably plan for a different situation. Mm-hmm. There was, I saw an unexpected vaginal twin birth. Wow. Like we didn't know there was two and one another one came out after. So just things that And in that situation, how did you know there's another one in there? Was that that sounding like really stupid. No, no. Um at that point, um she just kept like her labor sounded as it as though it was still going. Things okay. were still happening. And so like the we're waiting for the placenta and then yeah. Actually, uh, yeah, yeah, baby come down, birth canal. Yeah. Wow. And so yeah, <laughs> things that here we just because of our knowledge ahead of time, we often don't see how it would play out on its own. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not saying that that's always the best case, but yeah. it's a really neat opportunity to see it outside of our context of care. Yeah, and also I'd imagine um, just a, like an incredible life experience to Absolutely. set you up for being a nurse and like a human. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at that age, because that's such like a, I don't know, well I don't know what I was doing at that age but it certainly wasn't that and I think that must have really sort of set how you felt afterwards and what you wanted to do and absolutely and I know my parents were afraid that they were going to lose me to like Tanzania yeah I'd never come home like I would fall in love with it Uh and um, I I did fall in love with it and I hope to be back one day but so what did you do from there did you go into nursing from there yeah I was that was between my second and third year okay got it so a few months after coming back I got pregnant with my oldest okay and then started my third year of nursing right so I was pregnant throughout my third year of nursing Mm -hmm. um with my oldest and my husband uh we were dating at the time but he was military and posted out west so I did my first pregnancy in a different city without my family without him Um, I survived and I finished and It was a, we could talk forever about the challenges. And, oh, yeah. Um, well, the, being on your own somewhere, I can, like, vaguely sympathise with uh, from having moved here, like, through my journey of, like, being a mother, basically. And it is hard and lonely to navigate, but then to not have your husband around is really hard because I obviously did have that. Um, can you imagine how much you argue over the phone with oh a hormonal God. pregnant woman? Oh yeah, who's also in full time nursing. Like I had no yeah, and I didn't have the pressure home. of those things. It was like yeah, like my focus was getting and staying pregnant and like making friends and stuff. And I think if I'd had any more pressure on top of that, just because you're in this new environment, it's very very daunting. So how did you? Um, 
how did you manage that? <laughs> Barely. Okay. I got to so the you end. survived. I survived. Um, I did get all of my hours in. Uh, the actual the department mm-hmm. made it very challenging for me to do what I needed to do. But yeah, and that was kind of my first taste of advocacy um, was pushing for what I needed to be able to finish. Which is kind of sad because you're in a medical environment. You'd think that my sister is actually a nurse and um, often when she's advocating for herself I'm like surely they understand you're in a hospital (laughs) you know like and actually I feel like there's sometimes it seems less sympathy or maybe just because of the nature of what you see all day I don't know no it's funny you mentioned that because I um as a result of what I went through my third year Mm -hmm. in fourth year I had a course called trends and issues so I'm a mom a new mom at this point Uh in fourth year nursing which at this point there's still people dropping out of our program because Uh of the the stress level and trends and issues I wrote a paper called an unwanted pregnancy Mm -hmm. the discrimination of childbearing and rearing women in nursing education Wow, interesting. And, and was this based on your own experience? <laughs> I used personal communication from um, who our director was at the time. Who well, I bet had, they didn't like this. No, she had her PhD and her area of expertise was breastfeeding, bonding, and infant loss. So the communications that I included from her in that paper caused a lot of problems. Right. And my paper was actually held and my grade was held until I changed it. Wow. And at that point... I wanted to fight it with all of my heart. Mm -hmm. However, I also knew that process of fighting it would mean I would fail the course before I got through the the fight. And it wasn't worth it. I had a life I wanted to move on to. Yeah. And sometimes the energy you put into something, even if you get what you want at the end, uh, can be at the detriment of too too much. It's like too much to put in, I think. And so, yeah, that kind of... That must have been hard, though. it sucked and I really didn't enjoy it. Whereas I loved school um, mm-hmm. before, but we got through it. My husband was home for the full nine months or nine months. Um, so was he home to help you or was he home on leave? Or how does it work? He was home leave actually. So, oh wow. Cause I was a student, but he was um, a regular force um, Canadian forces member at the time. He mm-hmm. got his pad leave, which was the oh, that's incredible. Third, I can't remember the, he didn't get the 15 weeks because that's only for a birth mom. Yes. But he got the rest of but it. But he got the rest. Yeah, okay. So he came back to Ontario and we um, stayed So that together. must have been, I'm assuming, a nice period that you uh, was it, allowed to have together. Yeah, it, it was. And it was very also very tough. Um, Kian's birth didn't go the way that I had hoped. Yeah. Um, I had planned a home birth, uh, the whole mm-hmm. natural thing, and it turned into an emergency C-section. Okay. So I had a lot of trouble processing that. Mm -hmm. On top of the difficulty of the birth, I also had postpartum depression with Mm -hmm. some psychotic features after his. uh, So, as much as it was a nice time to have my husband there, I also. You needed him. Yeah, Yeah. I needed him. I was Uh, going nuts. And in terms of it not going how you want, was that just because you were set on the home birth? You've been in Tanzania, you've done, you've almost got this experience expectation of what you feel you can achieve absolutely so was it more the expectation or the actual birth uh or Um, both I think it was a combination of both so I Mm -hmm. think it was that expectation which I now call like a birth ideal so it's that idea that it's that perfect situation that that is the only way you can look at it interesting and I tied that closely then to my ability to parent because Mm -hmm. in my mind um, a natural birth was best. Okay. And it was 
better than any other option. Right. It was better for my baby. It was better for me. It was and you've read Ida May's books and you've been in Tanzania exactly. and you've, you have all this like almost like extra insight that I, the average new mum doesn't have. Exactly. And I, I deeply thought that that was the only way that I could be a, a good right. mom was to kind of get through that. And then it all changed because our kids come to teach us really important lessons. And mm-hmm. I used to laugh and say, his lesson was, your plans are here to be broken. Yeah. Oh, God, no he kidding, right? He continues to do that on a daily basis. <laughs> but, um, and, yeah, it, and long story short, um, it wasn't a crazy, horrific, traumatic, um, you know, rush the ER crash C-section story. Mm-hmm. But it was a labor that started on Monday. And he wasn't born till Thursday at 3 o'clock. God. So it was long. It was slow. Things weren't moving. When mm-hmm. my water broke, there was meconium, um, which uh, was very faint. But for me, that was a let's go to hospital. Right. Um, that was one of my personal hospital choices. Okay. Um, just because, again, often we don't know why babies poop. Sometimes it's for no reason at all. Sometimes it's because there's And stress. usually it's that early on is more unusual, right? Yeah. In my thinking, yeah. And actually... Because usually they're stressed during the labor process and then you're kind of further along rather than like your water broke and nothing's happening. And, yeah, it's and, there. It's, and because it was faint, I wasn't as worried, but it, again, it was like, okay, this is my, my safety zone. So we got to the hospital and things slowed down. Mm-hmm. And then I got the, pito- then everything, you know, all yeah. the things. So I got Pitocin. I was up to 18 units, which is like very high. That I- is incredibly high. I have to say <laughs> I got to six was having back to back contractions and had to have an epidural because I, couldn't breathe it was again I'll share the difference when I know the other feeling yeah I had really bad back labor with him so winds up he was just in a really crappy position and Mm -hmm. his cord was really short so Uh, when he on his um our operative notes it says his cord was about six inches long whoa yeah when you should be like a lot an arm's length at least and it's six inches long like how do you even get out do you know what I mean and I've talked to a lot of people in prop because for a while I'm like okay his cord was six inches he never would have been born and I think well like there has to be variations of normal and he's totally fine so maybe and again talking to people eventually and often what happens right is our uterus contracts and baby should be able to come out however he wasn't able to get in a good position regardless right and the part that and you can only find this out in hindsight. Like, there's yeah. no one could have told you that at the time. Oh, no, and if, if your all. expectations are really what is part of the problem, it's yeah. you're always you're almost set up to fail. And I chose, uh, I shouldn't say I chose, I thought by not educating myself about C sections, aka not thinking about C sections, or just mean, thinking blissfully unaware, like, I'm not going to need one. Exactly. The end. <laughs> exactly. I was very unaware. And I think it was the parts that I didn't have control over in that process. Okay. Um, was the part that made it hard. Right. Um, and then this is what linked to your postpartum yeah, depression, really. As well as, yeah. And as well as just pre existing risk factors but I think okay. it was a perfect storm um it seems like it often is especially what I hear or what I've read on psychosis is that it's no doesn't tend to be like any one one thing but like all coupled together yeah. it breaks someone basically yeah and it was a high stress time combined then with that guilt and shame and disappointment and then you put body 
feelings on top of that because you're like, oh, now I've had a surgery. Mm-hmm. Now I can't get back into being a size whatever I was before this baby came. And you're young. <laughs> and you're young too, right? Yeah. Like, um, and I feel like at that age, um, I was probably more caught up in what I looked like, not necessarily just body image, but just in general, what other people thought yeah. than any of the things I care about now yeah. as being way more important, obviously. Absolutely. But And we're all perfect parents, right, before we have any kids. Oh, and I had incredible. and I looked after other people's kids, so I thought I had it. I think that's actually go. harder because you have way more expectation having all of these professions mm-hmm. and knowledge Um than being kind of like blissfully ignorant sometimes like yeah you can still get that knock back but I think the expectation would be far higher because you've seen what you consider to be good and bad parenting or good and bad birth you've seen what you your own skill set is and you assume that you can do that and then you realize you're like no it's my kid yeah it's 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 my kid or that you can't be as objective Yes. When it's uh, not yours. Exactly. And when it is yours, sorry. Yeah. And you're whatever way around that was I meant to be. And I see, <laughs> I, when I get paid to do something, I can do anything. But it's different when you know tomorrow morning, you're like, if I don't bath you now, I have to bath you tomorrow. Yeah. It's not like someone is like, oh, don't worry about it. Just get them into bed tonight. I'll take care of your Yeah, like, well, it's I'm so true. I'm taking care of it. It's so true. Or if you just know you don't have that help. Being someone's help must be very different to just being the someone. Yes. Because you don't see it from a point that the person is doing everything. Okay, so you've had you've had your eldest, Kian, right? Yes. And you've had this experience with psychosis. Did that come on really quickly or uh no, it was slow and steady. Um how did you recognise it? Was it your own knowledge or husband or I knew Uh, My husband knew something was awfully wrong, but he also didn't know because prior to this, we hadn't lived together. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. So that's one other other piece of the puzzle. He's just thinking, oh, this is how Emily is. I just haven't been around her that much. (laughs) I was cutting up towels. Like, he would leave a wet towel on the bed, Mm -hmm. and I would cut it up into 50 pieces and throw each piece at him. And I was having, so psychosis, generally we think about it, um, people having bad thoughts about their babies mm-hmm. or themselves. Um, and typically there's two kind of camps. You either have kind of suffocation, um, whatever, I don't know what the word is, like dreams or visions, or often they have a lot of blood in them, one or the other. So people, when they think of awful things, doing awful things or having awful things happen, they often fall into either of those two categories Okay. towards baby, usually. Yeah. Um, again, there's variations. Mm-hmm. Mine were um, vivid, vivid dreams and thoughts about my husband, hurting my husband. Wow. And he is a big, big Caribbean man. Like I was going to say, and... He's in the military. Military. And Not probably the best person to take on. No, no. And but my I said to my mom one day, I was so upset and she's like, Well, I said, I'm afraid I'm gonna hurt him. And she kind of smiled because this is before we really knew what was going on. And she said, Well, thank goodness he's so big. And I said, Mom, I'm afraid I am going to throw a pan of bacon grease on him or boil the kettle and pour it on him while he's sleeping. Wow. And she went, Oh, okay, I think we need to see the doctor. Yeah, yeah. And my husband had been putting up with, like, craziness. Yeah. Legitimately, like, stress on him, everything. And um, once I got 
Mate. Did you have the foresight to like explain that because you knew something was up, or was you just saying what was coming out of what your was mind? Coming out? I was genuinely scared. Okay, of I, yourself, of myself. I didn't trust wow. that. Um, that is such a scary place to be because I think in postpartum thoughts on the sliding scale of like what I've felt, um, there are times where you're like, oh my god, am I like slipping into not psychosis as such, but into something where I don't recognise myself, and it, that can be scary. But to be so extreme, it was terrible. That was that just sounds. And, the, and have a baby to look and after. Have a baby, yeah. Right? And I was very disconnected. I mm -hmm. would say probably the to, the to the baby. Okay. Um, I breastfed. Mm -hmm. I said if I didn't breastfeed, I probably wouldn't have fed him. I don't know. Like I just was like, I can care for you, and I, I tie some of that back. I can't. I do not blame the C-section, but I look back and think, I. Well, it's your perfect storm, yeah, though, isn't I, it? I don't it remember could remember his first day. Wow. You know? So like now looking at, I'm like, oh. They took you out of me, and now you're here with me, and here I, I better, am. I yeah. better look after you kind yeah. of thing. Okay. And, but, yeah, the ins I've always had quite a bit of insight into my own mental health. Most uh -huh. of the time, I'm like, eh, something's not right. Or I can feel that it's – but I don't know – you couldn't diagnose yeah, yourself. You you're just like, okay. And, and who could really, it's quite um, a difficult thing to do, to look at yourself subjectively, even as a doctor, I'm sure. Doctors yeah. go to other doctors it, for a reason. Exactly. And I just knew something wasn't right. We had a great family doctor. She adjusted medication for me. And I did I did some counselling, mm -hmm. um, which I have not found many counsellors I click really well with so I went to a couple and felt mm. like I got some things organized and and it's a real group. task to find it's like find it's like speed dating slash finding a partner because you can find someone who's great but they're not great for you exactly. um or at least that's my experience exactly um so yeah that we kind of once the medications kicked in everything kind of balanced out okay it was when he was about 18 months that I had my first um, mixed episode um I have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder okay didn't know about before right 2020 mm -hmm. um but because of my med adjustments um postpartum because mm -hmm. they increased them for the postpartum depression and like kind of that anxiety piece uh, but I never had them readjusted and I ended up just going up, 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 up when he was about 18 months old. Okay. So when you say up, 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 you, you, it was increasing your medication. No, sorry. No. Um, mood. Okay. So I was, I became manic at that point. Okay. So I went from being really low, but because we didn't know about that piece of my puzzle. Right. Nobody was looking for, for it. So no one's looking for you being like manic and hyper. They're, they're trying to suppress depression essentially so they, exactly so that and is your husband away at this point I'm guessing no, we're actually back um all together now and we were out west at that point okay so once I finished school we we moved out to Saskatchewan and that okay. happened about uh six months after we moved out there so here's 18 months and you're feeling manic yeah. and are you recognizing that you're manic or yeah yeah I knew for sure like I again that inside of this is crazy the things that I'm thinking about Right. I took a job that had a two-hour commute one way, right. but I thought my husband was the a-hole for telling me it was a bad idea. Right. So and those, that's, yeah, that's a lot of time. So a four-hour commute with a little kid at home and twelve-hour shifts—it was like a horrible idea. Yeah. But again, in that moment, it, so are you thinking? Is your sort of thinking in this manic state that, like, I can do anything? Absolutely. Right. And You're I invincible, mean, almost. I'm invincible, and I have to because now. I, you know, I have a family and I, I 
part of it was that I wanted to contribute. I'd gone to school for four years. I worked so hard to get my degree and I didn't want to. And you don't stand to reason if someone says this is unreasonable. You don't see it. Is that? Exactly. That's exactly it. Um, Wow. And so that's hard for him to reason with. Because, yeah, like black and white, it's like, well, obviously, no, don't do that. As even as just a simple thing. Exactly. So anyway, take us back to your feeling manic, your un, uh, essentially unreasonable without, um, I don't know, putting a label on it, I suppose. Where do you go from there? I went to my really crappy family doctor mm-hmm. um, who I went and I told her, I was like, something's wrong. I'm having all of these thoughts. I listed everything. Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm working in a men's prison working with mostly psych all the time. So I'm like, I know what behaviors I'm having right now because I'm literally- Because you're looking at a list of them, yeah. Doing them all. And I I know that my my brain is leaving me, my mind is leaving me. Mm -hmm. And I had a 18 month old, almost two year old boy on my lap. I told her I had active homicidal thoughts towards my husband and active suicidal thoughts for myself. She looked at me and said, I don't feel comfortable adjusting your meds. Um, I'm going to put in an urgent referral to see mm-hmm. a psychiatrist. And I, I feel like this is so dangerous. Because what if you acted upon that oh, that night, you know? Looking back at that whole thing, again, what I know now, yeah. I sh- she should have had her, her office staff contact my husband mm-hmm. to come pick up our son and had me formed and taken to the hospital. Yeah, when you been. say formed, is that sort of sectioned? Yeah, like yeah. I, not like I wouldn't have been unwilling, but it should have been her saying you need to be stopped in some yeah. way. Yeah, you need to go and get help, not an urgent referral that took six weeks to see someone. Yeah, so that part again, twenty twenty. Luckily, everything was re- not fine, but fine in the sense of other no yeah. one got hurt, and you yeah. didn't do anything that you're going to later regret as part of this process. Exactly, and we ended up. Once that time kind of passed, I saw that my first psychiatrist then got some med adjustments and a whole different oh my god different world that you felt you was in from changing. Absolutely, I could feel like I was. My memory was so short. I was double checking my work five times. Like at work, I knew that I was missing things, but I couldn't catch when I was doing it. Yeah. So I would have to go back and like I did list it was I feel like this must be so debilitating to life it was it was so frustrating especially going from that very much type a high achieving person who could remember everything and could do everything to now like learning how to be a mom learning how to be a partner and learning how to live with a chronic mental illness wow more than Looking back, did you think you had this before, or do you think it's all been escalated by all um, of your like the whole journey? Um, I think it always existed mm-hmm. in some. I look back at past behaviors um, and just my personality and how I, I do certain things, mm-hmm. but I think it was that that pregnancy piece and that hormonal thing afterwards. Um, that, that changed you changed almost, it. yeah. Because I was always someone, I feel like prior to that, if m- my mood was up, I was very productive and it was almost a, a benefit. And I was And it's probably a- praised, right? Yes. As a kid, you're going to school or doing whatever stuff yeah. of studying. Yeah. So if you can like be super hyper and study all night and whatever, and then someone says, oh, you've done amazing, you've got these great grades, you're never going to like attribute that to 
exactly one mental health and being bad like probably everyone else is like I wish I could do that exactly and then (laughs) you were like okay that helped me serve me really well there but now I'm a little older Mm -hmm. my brain's a little different and it's going to work in a different way now yeah wow I'm still kind of um I I have a wonderful doctor here I love Uh him um I actually after my second um when he was about nine months old I needed some more, more adjustments adjustments and switch some but I guess once you know you and your family know yeah. you can at any point be like hang on a second or someone else can say hang on a second do you think we should do something yeah. but not I, knowing is, and that's the thing is the not knowing so once like any before I was just thought my husband was being so <laughs> rude and like and then it's like wait 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 actually you might have a point here and so if I have the insight to be open mm. to other people's inputs and I feel like you've done a lot of digging yourself like Tons. because like that most people wouldn't mm-hmm. um ha- have the insight intellect or even just the resources or life experience of all the the things you've been doing to kind of say hang on a second or even I'd imagine in a depressive state to even care if you're feeling suicidal, I wouldn't be like, oh, let's find out what's wrong with me. I think I would just be like, what's the point in anything, you know? And the funny thing you mentioned that now mm. is my, I don't often go and seek help if my mood is low or feeling depressed because for me, that's a safe place. I've never wow. made bad decisions or I should depressed. Hurt, but depressed. I've never hurt my family. I've never, you know, taken that job that's two hours away or, <laughs> or, you know, spent way too much money on something when I'm depressed. I can't do a lot. I can't be that great and functioning, but I'm not making really, really bad choices. Oh, that's Whereas interesting. When I'm, my mood is higher or in a, we mixed a mixed episode is actually when you're depressed and manic at the same time. Okay. So you have those like depressed bad thoughts. thoughts but you're being manic with them so you have energy and no impulse control so it's not no. a fun and that's actually a scary scary place to be and that's knowing that that's part of it is very scary but um so yeah I have to be very mindful now of I'm being productive being, but is it good exactly and also uh, if I'm low I'm like I don't have to stay here I don't have to like this isn't my safe place there is a, a happy medium but just that's really interesting that. because it must be really confusing. Oh, and sleep. Like, it's my kids don't sleep, and sleep is my biggest right. thing. I shouldn't yeah. say they don't sleep, but they are not great sleepers. Yeah, and um, you've got three, yeah, and I think three. when the numbers go up with children, you've only got to have one of two of them like wake up once, which in a normal scenario would be no big deal, yeah. but that added because that's kind of like my fear with three it's like I can manage the two when one or the other is not sleeping but you can't go to three people and you know it depends on how your family exists mm-hmm. even with my husband taking over with two it's like the, the the ratio of or the likelihood sorry of there not being enough sleep for you as parents is so so high yeah. and sleep <sighs> is a real real thing that I still funny third third baby brought home I'm still not invested in a sleep consultant, which I'm kicking myself for yet again. I always yeah. say I want to. Um, well, it's never too late. No, it's true. It's very true. I didn't do anything about sleep with Bodhi until Cub was born and he was two and a bit. And now they both sleep amazingly for the most part when you take out sickness or nightmares or whatever. 
or like just cold and flu season. <laughs> um, but I think if you'd have asked me that a year ago, I, I just thought I'd resign myself to thinking I have bad sleepers and I don't know what to do about it. So I would say to anyone that there is ways and it depends on how you want to manage them and what your comfort levels are. But with a 10-month-old, I, I, I wouldn't worry. And I think sometimes you have to get to... Yeah, I feel like with sleep, it's like a, another topic in itself. But before we go on to any more of your births, because there's obviously more to come, tell us about the giveaway and tell us about what you do now. Like, what what is good birth co, basically? Awesome. It's funny. The <laughs> transition, I was going to say, we didn't um, set up systems the way I'm working on setting up systems in my business. So yeah. to expand your family, it's important to have good systems in place first. because I need to know all of this. So. <laughs> I'm still a hot mess most of the time. But, um, it's, but it's different better. when it's for other people, though, isn't it? When... Absolutely. But the good birth company um, is a place on in the world for people who want better options when it comes to birth. Okay. So I am the founder and the educator, Mm -hmm. um, which means I've created it. It's my passion. um, And it's a business built on curated learning, Mm -hmm. community, coaching, and consulting for pregnant people. Okay. So So is this something you would sign up for as a newly pregnant person or first pregnancy, second pregnancy, or just doesn't matter? It doesn't matter. I'm really my heart wants to reach first time pregnant people Yeah, because my goal is to help people not have the first experience that I had to not have to come secondhand almost exactly. Or think it'll be better next time. I Mm -hmm. want your first time to be great. And I look at your birthday, not your birthday, but your birth space day Yeah, as a day as important as your wedding day. Oh yeah. You know, it's, it's huge. It is the day that you bring someone new into the world. Maybe that someone is for your family and maybe that someone is for someone else's family. Uh-huh. Um, regardless, it's a hugely transformative day. Uh-huh. And I think people um, deserve all of the best information. And you're most vulnerable when you haven't had one because you're shaped by other people's experiences, what someone's told you, the random stuff you see on TV, which is like not really real. Yeah, exactly. And I want to create not only do I want, I think I'm, I'm well on my way to creating that space of accessible information for mm-hmm. people that you can um, either so listen valuable. to it, you can, you know, look at a quick meme. I'm a big fan of um, Lizzo and Post Malone memes oh as gosh. a form of birth I love education. Lizzo. <laughs> so, um, so I'm trying to do things a little differently and offer... Um, and also hit that generation of people who are... I mean, I'm 35, but like are that bit younger than me, like in their 20s and like thinking about it, maybe even, even if they're not actually pregnant right now, maybe they just got married and they're like, or even not married. It doesn't really, that's like irrelevant, but like in that space of your life with whoever you're with, however your situation's set up being like, maybe that's my next step. Because regardless of how or why you got pregnant, you are pregnant. And at the end of it, you need to become unpregnant. (laughs) So that's I'm kind of working on being more inclusive to the whole process. So Uh um, which drew me to your to Phoenix's birth story um, Mm -hmm. was that you still deserve that experience to be a positive one for you. Yeah. Just because your baby wasn't going to be the same as most of the babies Mm -hmm. that people bring home or think they're going to bring home. It doesn't mean that you don't deserve to have good memories from that day of some kind. And I think also to plan for it in hindsight, like I feel very lucky. I did have 
a good experience in the moment maybe nothing leading up to that was yeah. uh, in quotes good and the obviously the outcome wasn't can't be classed as good yeah. but I feel like my actual birth and when I when I consider the birth I mean not the labor not being induced none of that but like the process of like physically him arriving into my arms was very euphoric very um uh like a, a real like memory I want to keep and like was incredible but obviously what falls either side of that and what it meant to me is like um immensely difficult but I think although that was made nice and the hospital did lovely things like um take photos mm -hmm. there was no like pre-planning in kind of what you're um offering to people it wasn't like have you thought about having a photographer like what does that look like what do you want from that um like we just got given some photos and we had like by comparison to now pretty crappy iPhones mm -hmm. um and we have whatever photos we thought to take but nothing was planned thought out curated um explained um or it was explained so in the moment that you're like okay great let, uh, or uh, okay yeah maybe or no or sometimes like the default answer was no because it's easier to say no exactly. than to be vulnerable and say no yes oh no so I wouldn't have met my baby if he wasn't born alive and um that wasn't supposed to be the case so if that had if it had played out how it was like supposed to I, I, I could, could likely have never met him and that is just insane to me now. That you didn't. Yeah. That yeah, and that's really... So nice. that's interesting that, like, to think of birth as all those things is, it's I think, so really much. valuable to people. I, and I really, I genuinely hope that I can help people see it. Yeah. Way. And I'm not... Because a lot of the people in my situation might be doing that on their own. Yes, and I look, um, as I mentioned, my professional kind of life and in nursing, a lot of it's uh, care planning and almost system navigation. And I see that for a different age group and a different capacity, but this is very similar kind of how I see myself as I'm an educator, but I'm also an advocate mm -hmm. and a navigator. I'm here to connect people. Navigating is so important. Uh, to coordinate your care. Um, and mm -hmm. care isn't, I think so many of us, um, me included, you think, mm -hmm. okay, I'm pregnant call my doctor. Maybe I'll follow up with my family doctor for a while. I might get in with midwives or I get my OB there. I'm done. I wait till I have my baby. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, there's an entire world out there that can make this all better for you, more enjoyable. Um, more and the fun. same, if you have a problem, I think for someone to take care and be like, here are all your options. Here are all your avenues. And let me like plan them for you so you're not just wandering around on your own helpless exactly and in our healthcare system so we have a universal healthcare system so mm -hmm. coming from the UK you have something very similar yeah um, the thing I would definitely say that's different about the UK which I have generally missed here is that um the the dots aren't connected mm -hmm. so you would go to your doctor the hospital any referral you would get and everything happens in one go so here, when I would have to go, for example, for a scan, and then you take the paperwork and you take it to see someone else, there would be none of that. Mm -hmm. You don't ever get anything. You have, like, a pack. And, yes, you might carry your pack around, but for the most part, unless you're, like, really wanting to, like, be so involved, you might not even need to look at it because it's kind of someone else has already coordinated it. Yeah. They've already connected the dots. They've already made sure that when, like, a midwife, for example, would do the scan, 
Okay, yeah. So they would be able to tell you in the scan the information rather than you waiting to after the fact. So when I got here and they're like, oh, now you go do this, I was like, what, why? I don't understand. Um, So being able to create that um, puzzle piece. um, Just the the medical component, but there's so many other pieces to get in or supportive alternative care providers as well Uh in terms of uh, chiropractic care or massage therapy or pelvic floor physio or acupuncture and stuff. Yeah, Yeah. All of that stuff. And just having your eyes open to it um, and knowing, you know, some good providers who um, are practicing from. And am I right in assuming that you can get some of that through OHIP as well? If that, or is is this navigating more your private healthcare? Um, The, this would be a little bit more private. Mm -hmm. um, And I'm actually working on how exactly this is something I can provide as a a genuine service. Cause Uh my education, I'm finding people need more help to keep all of their shit in order. Oh my God. hundred percent. No, you can, you can hundred percent swear. But no, it's like, there's so much. So as much as I'm my cornerstone is education. I'm figuring out how can I help people get through this without wanting to pull their hair out so you can get back to focusing on all of just the, the job stuff. in hand. Yeah. yeah. And enjoy taking pictures and enjoy, you know, throwing mm-hmm. a parties or a shower or just surviving. Yeah. Cause sometimes that's all we can do. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. Depending on how it's going and what your situation is. Um, so, so in terms of the giveaway, what are you offering? What are you offering our listeners in terms of um, your services? Excellent. I'm so excited to share. So okay. I'm offering... And thank you, by the way. I feel like it's such, as a small business owner, it's such a big task to give something away because it's usually your time, your energy, and, yeah, all the things. So, one, I really appreciate that. But, two, um, I'll let you tell us more about it rather than me butchering (laughs) (laughs) your words so there you go (laughs) well I will be offering um a registration or a spot Mm -hmm. in um my course birth magic okay which helps people understand their choices harness their power and have better outcomes with way less stress excellent and is that an online course it is so you can do it kind of wherever you are um, at any point in your pregnancy when you want to sort of sign on and go yeah. ahead. I'm going Excellent. to be, it's a six week, it's, I suggest you do it over six weeks. It's just okay. kind of set up. Um, That's the way it's set up. And but you can sort of decide as and when you do it rather than doing it as a collective or something. Absolutely. Got it. Um, there will be weekly um, live Q&As that Excellent. I will be hosting. Um, so you'll have an hour once a week. Um, mm-hmm. So that'll be starting I want to say mid-January. Perfect. Um, so, like, once the podcast comes out, um, yeah. you'll be able to slide in with the group that, um, that will be starting then. Amazing. And so, yeah, we cover um, basically the, like, how your body works, how does birth work. Um, mm-hmm. We cover your choices, what your rights are, and how you can make them happen. Mm-hmm. We cover the process of induction, yep. what your choices are around that. We also cover cervical checks which is a big, a big one. Um, a lot of people assume that those are non-negotiables, which is not the case. Okay. Um, as well as monitoring. So fetal monitoring, um, either a lot of people think of those big, a stretchy, big bands, stretchy bands yeah, um, yeah. or different options there. And then lastly is hydration. So hydration includes eating, drinking and IV access. 
Right. So those um, are by no means everything that has to do with birth, but I see those as like the absolute... The key value. markers almost. The, exactly. Um, so you'll get through that and feel like you can handle it on the other side. Amazing. And I think that's just like so much of what people need, um, especially first-time mums like you were saying before. So anyone wanting to enter, head over to my Instagram page and, um, and or Emily's at the good birth co and you can find out exactly how you have to do that and follow the steps and i will share the winner um assuming this airs on a wednesday on the monday um and i think this episode is going to definitely air the beginning of january so um we're just before christmas talking now so um so yeah back to you um you've now had two kids two kids and um, before we t- get into the sort of depths of uh, Pharaoh's birth, tell us a little bit about what happened with your twin pregnancy. Um, we found out um, we were expecting in November of 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and I must say, I am somebody who gets pregnant easily, and I took it for very like took it for granted that I grow babies easily. Right. Um, I also took for granted that things are just normal yeah and then and you've done it before yeah, at this I've point you're like yeah. before like I'm a, I'm a pro mm-hmm. so we go for our dating scan just because um I'm not a, a, always like a big believer that you have to go but I was like I want to I want to know a date yeah thank god that we did because mm. um I remember laying on the table and um she's she's really like the ultrasound tech was really 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 going to town I'm like, okay. And then she said, do you have a history of twins in your family? You must have thought straight away. Yeah, I was twins. Like, um, That's not a question people ask for no yeah. reason. Yeah, I was like, uh, yes, I do. My grandmother had uh, fraternal twins. Wow. So, and then I look at my husband, who is drenched, because he was sitting, like, he could see the screen. Oh, so, his, so he so knows. He can't, he said, like, there's all of these blobs and everything. He's like, but when I saw her type in twin A, <laughs> he was like, I don't think there's any other way to, like, look at this. And yeah, he's yeah, kept yeah, trying yeah. to think, well, maybe she's doing, like, this mirror, like, we're, no. No. It, it was twins. Okay. And we were terrified. Yeah. Right from the get-go. Because um, you have two kids we already. We have two kids already. Um, and two kids that were not easy babe like high energy high needs my toddler was still almost preschooler was still breastfeeding like mm-hmm. it was just not what I pictured yeah um but you was excited to have a third just not yes, two of them just not two of them right I think was the biggest um mm-hmm. we didn't share with a lot of people either right away there's a lot of stuff in our life in general that made it less than ideal a to be pregnant let alone less than ideal to be pregnant too Right, in that moment. can definitely uh, empathize with that, yep. and I didn't have the twin shock, so. And it was just like, okay, like, and the thing is. And you kind of don't want people's judgment at this point, like, I think sometimes if you're really struggling with it, for someone to just randomly say, oh, two, that's going to be difficult, as if, and like, well, no kidding. That's pretty much all I, I got. A few, uh, from the few people close people that I I told the response Uh was absolute like how are you going to do this I think was and it's like well thanks for asking like uh, yeah thanks for asking and like I I haven't thought of that yeah like I'm not breaking out Mm -hmm. um so everything seemed to be fairly normal Mm -hmm. um I was horribly sick Uh um which I mentioned before we started recording I get um 
pregnancy-related hyperthyroidism. So okay. an overactive thyroid uh-huh. in preg- pregnancy, which... Does that cause sickness? Yeah, it makes you feel awful. And it's actually often tied to hyperemesis gravidum. So people uh, who have that often have the thyroid issue. I and is that undiagnosed often or just overlooked? It is it is undiagnosed a lot too because our TSH normally gets lower in the beginning of pregnancy. Like, So if you get blood work done at the very beginning and to see something that's low, it's not unusual. Right. But the problem is mine never goes back up until almost the end. Um, Interesting. But yeah, I felt like garbage, heat intolerance. So like, you know how you're just kind of sweaty and warm already? Oh, yeah. I couldn't handle like, And you've got two kids, which is, is huge in this. Yeah. Like My heart rate, I had tachycardia, so my heart rate would be like through the roof. I couldn't carry the kids up the stairs. I was huffing and puffing more so than your average yeah, yeah. <laughs> pregnant person. And there that was, sounds pretty miserable. And this weird internal buzzing feeling because your your thyroid has to do with like so many different processes in your body and it just felt like I was always vibrating and it was really annoying yeah so but other than that we I saw an endocrinologist who followed up on it we checked into my thyroid made sure there wasn't anything bigger going on and carried on and just kept trying to figure out how we were going to do it yeah and then again we'd look at logistics like we've got enough rooms in our house yeah, we're going to need another vehicle, but we yep. were going to need another vehicle probably anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, but now we need a. Di- and my husband loves cars; like he is a nice car man. So <laughs> you know how hard it is to find some sort. I of am in the midst of this fancy, dancy, schmancy car that fits car seats. <laughs> Four car seats. Like oh my god! I, I totally. This is like my life at the moment. My husband is not a car man, but he's like. We're having to buy a car and finance for the first time ever. Like what? And it's not like a crappy car like we we would have bought when we was younger. So if we're gonna do this, like let's have a semi decent car. But it doesn't really exist for three seats, under three car seats. Those like third rows, you can't use them uh, until yeah. your kid's so tall and they don't need a boot. It was a nightmare. So we yeah. literally like spent all of our time looking at that. Yeah. And then we went to an appointment, um, and we couldn't really hear anybody in there so there were some questions wow. and we went for some more checks and turns so out how many weeks were you I thought I was about 14 at that point but they had stopped developing developing earlier on than that um but because there was two of them and at the point I was I ended up going for what was called a dilation and evacuation which is kind of like the next step up from a DNC okay um which is not a fun thing to go oh, for. Oh, God, no. And a DNC um, isn't either. Like, no, but it's, it's just it's, has it more of extreme version because your babies are a bit bigger and there's and or there's two of them. Exactly. They were Yeah, it, that was the thing. They're a bit bigger and there was two of them. So it was a two-day procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, and with all of that being said, mm-hmm. I can imagine you can right now feel oh. the, the guilt and shame oh that sat on me for so long because mm-hmm. I genuinely felt like I your wishes I had yeah through, yeah and I didn't I wasn't going to have them wow and I think deep deep down though mm-hmm. I don't know if I knew it from the beginning I don't know if the world knew I don't know and I don't think that anyone needs to find purpose in crappy things no um that everything happens for a reason no. is not relevant no 
to these scenarios. It's like a statement that should be meant for, oh, your house fell through or something. Exactly. Or something actually even less relevant than that. I don't know. For whatever, whatever thing that brought us there, um, I will always be grateful for that Mm -hmm. um, because I have a marriage still. (laughs) Yeah. I have a beautiful, healthy, happy, thriving 10 month old. Mm -hmm. And I have two older children who are in love with their little brother. Right. And I look at that dimension and that the you can look at your life now and think I'm happy that we're, we're here. We are here as this unit and that Elko and Bravo are part of us Mm -hmm. and part of my story and ways I can connect with other people. But I, I deep down think the dynamic of our family, if they had been brought into the world in I a think, different way. I think the marriage is a really important factor as well because everyone starts out these scenarios with their partner wanting to do it with their partner. They don't say, oh, I really want to have kids and, like, you know, what happens with us is irrelevant. And it can really play into your quality of life. And I think what as- what is, you know, important to you as, as a happily married couple or a happily together couple previous um and having two kids previously it's I wasn't the naive rose glasses you know Mm -hmm. rose glasses first time mom like I'm gonna have twins and they're gonna wear the same clothes and we're gonna do yeah I was like there's gonna be two of them yeah and a real real true reality look with addition of two others and it just um and I think even if you hadn't had twins and you felt like that about just having a third Mm -hmm the playing out of that is a really difficult place to be because I've certainly been sat in that situation with this pregnancy where it's like finding out I didn't want to be pregnant but I didn't want to be unpregnant and there's only those two options exactly and coming to terms with whatever decision that you need and I must say this journey has also opened my eyes to abortion advocacy Mm -hmm. for women of all walks of life Well, I found, I don't know if you might know the statistic better than me, but a lot of pregnancies that are, in quote, unwanted for whatever reason are by people that are together and that aren't accidents in basically a similar scenario to what we've we've experienced and not lived out, but um, that have happened to us where it's like, oh, shit, we can't cope or we aren't financially able, or our, our marriage can't last, or we have other two children to think about, um, and, and the millions of variants of those things. we're conditioned right from the get-go, and mm-hmm. you see it in the media, that um, those choices are there for people who make mistakes, or mm-hmm. who have made bad choices, or who... Almost like made, a bad people. It's yeah, like made out to be, yeah. yeah. That's your solution if you've screwed up. Mm-hmm. But when you're in a relationship and you're in perhaps a marriage or uh, when you actively decide either to create a child mm-hmm. or you actively decide to not, not try, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like you're putting, you're in a position, you feel that then, um, mistakes can be option. made on a one night stand as much as they can be made, um, in a loving couple, exactly, but yeah. are capable of having a baby naturally, exactly. And I think that for one group of women, it would be way easier. And I shouldn't say easier, but I mean, um, accept it, yeah, to choose to terminate a pregnancy versus the other. And I think a lot of people in those dynamics, um, 
it's not being talked about enough. No. Um, I look back at stories of, um, you know, my grandmother worked in obstetrics in the 60s. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine some of the wild stories that she oh, would have wow, had. Yeah. And, but I think it's something we need to talk about mm-hmm. because it's going to help. Or people. even having the feelings of like, whether you go through with anything or not of being okay with having those feelings, like, it was definitely a topic of our conversation when we went to the doctor having found out it was like well where are we at what are our options um and that is a fair conversation for everyone to have I think regardless of what you do after that and what your situation actually is to be able to ask those questions or even just to be not afraid to have that conversation with your partner because I think um, a lot of people sit with those thoughts all by themselves. Oh, 100%. I definitely did. I definitely felt like way out of A or B situation was both both at the time felt as terrifying and I couldn't work out which was going to be worse. Yeah, literally a rock and a hard place. Yeah, a rock and a hard place. And I think, um, you know, I'm happy that it's played out how it has and we obviously made a, a decision, we made a decision, but a lot of it was fate. Like I was 12 weeks and I was like, well, that plays into my decision. Like had I been two weeks, this, everything makes your decision-making process change um, and you have like your limits or your barriers or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's not to say it wasn't a thought where I was like, ah, how do I get out of this? What I really wanted was a magic wand and to reverse time and just not to be pregnant and not have the conversation. Yeah, and just get back on. But that isn't, and that isn't, that isn't the reality once you're in it. But if you're experiencing this loss that you're feeling, that's a whole nother facet that's like guilt guilt shame and you've told people I'm imagining yeah a small amount of people knew Mm -hmm. um work actually was one of my only places that lots of people knew because it was I didn't work right in town I had my really close work friends I shared with them before most of my family um so that was very hard yeah Um, because I did and I didn't go back for two months I which is a very short amount of time really it it was an I found it was enough because I'm also someone who Needs like, to be busy. I need to be busy, but I spent two months pretty much. Um, like the first month, I cried, mm-hmm. like in the shower. So anyone now that I like connect with, I'm like, okay, you need to get new girl. Watch <laughs> all the seasons, and you just shower and cry in it's between. It's funny um, how different people have those things that, where it's like a series or yeah. some sort of escapism. Um, I love yeah. that, and it was yeah, it was such a lighthearted funny show and but you can my... yeah that you can like laugh yourself into uh, a different like yeah a different mindset almost and my husband I have to give him credit here because I remember again sitting on the bathroom floor just like feeling awful crying mm-hmm. crying crying and I said to him I'm terrified of getting postpartum depression am I getting depressed yeah. like because you're feeling well, so much and if you're ever gonna feel like there was a, a time when you would that would be it right exactly and so I'm like, going? he looked at me and he said Emily what you are going through right now is a lot yeah, yeah. He, he said you are supposed to feel like this right now and you have to feel like this mm-hmm. and it was like a, a light bulb went off for me because mm-hmm. I knew that he had my back and he wasn't going to let me not that he could look prevent me from becoming depressed but I knew he had eyes he on knew me. the difference and he knew he was watching me grieve mm-hmm. he was too mm-hmm. in his own way but this was like 
that he, it, he protected my space like he does when I birth, which I'll talk about in a second. Oh, interesting. Um, but yeah, I knew that I didn't have to worry about. He that. sounds like a great guy. He <laughs> is. You two have been through a lot together, it seems. So more than I think some people have been. But I, I don't know. I'm yeah, a hundred percent. And I think what doesn't break you makes you stronger. So if you can survive this. Um, you're gonna raise three kids, no doubt, um, without too much problems. Hopefully, fingers, fingers crossed. Yeah. Um. So, so you're two months postpartum. You go back to work, and this is where you fell pregnant with um, yes, Pharaoh. Probably about the same week that I went back to work. I Oof. probably that would, timing would be uh, accurate uh, to yeah. when you fell pregnant like yes. unknowingly I'm presuming yes and we were not planning on becoming pregnant at that time and um, was you thinking you was done or like where were you at or you just um, like I'm grieving like, let's worry about another day yeah, I was at, actually I had a an appointment for my IUD insertion so I of wasn't course. hardcore done but we both were like we need some time my the t- on top of just you're not the, vasectomy done you're kind of like we need some pre yeah. pre uh pre more, there yeah some, some more also time. you're grieving which is so complicated it's not black and white as like we're done having children it's like yeah, yeah. we're done and we knew again because of how the feelings before we we knew that we weren't want, wanting that right now yeah um not to mention once you conceive multiples um naturally once you are then at I was going to say this. Say You're so. Risk, but in my case, I was I consider it risk. One in seven. Wow. One in seven is a very high chance. Yeah, and you've and you at this point you've lived through what twins looks like in all the negative ways yeah. that the IUD makes sense. Yeah, yeah we're like, <laughs> okay, it's time. And um, yeah, and then, but you're already pregnant. I'm already pregnant, so okay. we booked the appointment, and then I was like, oh, okay. And I actually found out because I had like the thyroid feelings, mm-hmm. and I was like. I the buzzing yeah, or the, the buzzing the racing heart um and I only ever felt like that when I was pregnant so I booked an appointment with the doctor she did my blood work I did a p-test it was negative um and I carried oh, on wow. thinking I still feel really weird but mm-hmm. and then it was I was at work um I was working in long-term care at that point at a different place and mm-hmm. um I opened one of the bedrooms and I was about to throw up I had that um, I smelled the old, they have a medication disposal bucket. Oh, and God. You know, that's like that vitamin kind of smell. Um, yeah, yeah. And, I and could, it can be anything that sets you off in pregnancy. You know, and but. it instantly hit me. And it, that the part that weirded me out was that medroom is always bit in polished clean. Like, I know the, nur- the nurses that worked in that particular room. And there was so no... So your way, hypersensitivity. Yeah, it yeah, wasn't wow. because someone had left something out. It was... And I thought, oh, crap. This isn't me. Like, this, this... I get a really... Like, I can tell if someone has turkey soup or chicken soup when I'm pregnant, kind of knows. And <clears throat> so I... Um, the next day, I went home and I got a dollar store test. By the way, there were I was going to say, well. somebody else on here um, I spoke to was like, dollar store tests are incredible. Yeah, they're just the same as all the others. Um... And I, I took it home. I didn't even tell my husband because I had mentioned to him. I'm like, I, but then I'd gone to the doctors and we we're like, okay. Okay. So I did the test the next morning. I was to do a, my first teaching of um, a dementia related teaching thing with the administrator from the home I worked at. So like my boss, boss, and I thought I'm going to take this test, put my mind at ease, carry on with my day. So it's just like a tick box, a box yeah, ticking yeah, exercise. Just like, okay, I'm not pregnant still. 
Okay. No, sure enough, two lines. I'm like, are you kidding me? I have to go teach this class today with um, what, my admin. And, what a um, strange place for your mind to be in. Like, just lost two kids, just got over the fact that maybe that's for the better in the long run and you're you're back you're back where you started yeah and it was just like oh my god like what do I and not that much further down the line than you would have been had you stayed pregnant if that makes sense Mm -hmm. but in relative terms because I would have been I found out that I was pregnant I would say like the first week of July and the twins would have been due mid-August if right. they had survived. Uh-huh. So when it works out, I was pregnant for 10 months out of 2018. Right. So my poor, like, my body is just so tired. Yeah. <laughs> at that oh, point. I hear you. And it's sore. And so, yeah, we... Um, so you're, you're back on the pregnancy train at this point. Yeah. And when we, we found out, we talked about it, and we were both were like... How did you feel this time around? Um, I mean, it obviously wasn't your plan, no, but no, and it was. There was part of me that was again disappointed because there was a piece that I was like, okay, I need to wait a little bit. I and then I had already started thinking about my own plans and for self development and self growth at that point that I could do while I was waiting to be ready to be pregnant again and um, expectations. Exactly, and then I was like, okay, well, I just need to shut that down now and focus back on this so that piece of kind of dis- disappointment of those expectations not being met right away but again life is always ever changing ever shifting and pregnancy is definitely one thing you can't um plan well plan just period you just don't but know how it, you don't know how it could go and yeah or even whether it does go even if you've had all these experiences where you think you're kind of like you're good you just never know do you so just ride it out mm -hmm. and hope for the best but no my husband (sighs) once we talked like at first it was a total shock then we came back together and he said you know what like we were already trying to figure out how to do this with two one seems manageable one seems manageable (laughs) let's double check it's one so we got into the midwife as soon as we could to get a scan Mm -hmm. um done just so we could at least again wrap our heads around whatever was coming Mm -hmm. it was just one and that made it seem so much more doable and in the process of between when we lost the twins Mm -hmm. to that point um there were some really good things that came out of how raw and vulnerable I was in terms of talking to some people in my life that um to help rebuild some some relationships that weren't as good and that were causing some of the previous stress. So there was... You had positive experiences po- yes. off, off the back of it. Yeah. So going into a, 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 a new pregnancy with those things being, um, I don't want to say totally repaired, but on the way to a better um, outcome was a lot easier. So your life in the background is playing out quite positively yes. in the for the most part. I mean, obviously, outside of this loss, um, or double loss, sorry. Uh, wow. Okay. So, you're now, you're doing it again. You must know you're pregnant quite early. And, like, what were the highs and lows of that pregnancy? Um, not a whole lot of highs. I'm going to yeah, be fair. a totally, um, because I really, I held my breath for quite some time. 
um, just making sure. Yeah, post-loss is, it's a different pregnancy, isn't it? Not to mention that I had just come back to work after being gone for two months and I was in a position that I was the position. Nobody came in to fill my position. So, and they had a record um, loss of residents when I was away. So we had like 20 new people come in who I would have normally Uh. done work. So it was just a busy, busy, busy time for in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we had our 20 week scan. We found out that we're having another boy, which Mm -hmm. I had prepared myself for, for, I knew I would be disappointed or I Mm -hmm. thought I would, Mm -hmm. I was disappointed for about two seconds. And then, which I, I think being prepared to be disappointed helped me be less disappointed. Okay, that's interesting. And is that because you've always wanted a girl or because, um, um, like, it was almost like, oh, of course I'm going to have a boy. So I'm going to prepare myself for that. Yeah. yeah. And the and deep down, like, I think when we got down to it, said it was superficial reasons why I want a girl. Like, mm-hmm. I deep down don't care. Yeah. However, it's it's an interesting topic though, I think, because I just assumed I would have another boy. But either people assume you want to have a girl because you have two boys yeah. or other way around. Um, or I think sometimes people think, oh, you're a woman and you must need to have a girl to like feel complete or something. Um but just it being like maybe a situation where it's like your last, not last shot at having a different gender just mm-hmm. for the pure curiosity exactly in the dynamics of a family and I think um like I said for me a lot of it was superficial okay you know animal print leggings and (laughs) um you know hair and all that stuff and really that it doesn't matter no and she might hate all that and then you really would be disappointed and my middle like boy he is the fanciest dresser in the entire world and he loves clothes my husband's more of a fashionista actually than oh wow but um so yeah we, good for him and, and hair too because my I mentioned my husband's Caribbean so uh-huh. I was a little scared for to have a girl as well with to cope with hair yeah oh I'm it's a whole thing with my boys but I know at the end of the day if I ever had to take them to the barber to fix whatever you tried it's you a little different than rough. doing that to a little girl so yeah for sure um and it's as a hairstylist it's a really different um it's just different makeup of hair. It's a whole different I thing. Spend hours reading about hair. Now yeah, and I think generally people tend to specialize in that kind of hair, or they don't. And yeah, you're you generally don't tend to be good at one or the other. And I definitely am not good at that. And um, I have so much respect for people that are because I think it's really difficult to manage as a professional, let alone as a mum just trying to do a ponytail. I'll have to show you how long their hair is because it's crazy. Um, So, yeah, it was just – it wasn't that it was a bad, bad pregnancy either. It just wasn't um, as much fun. And then at our our anatomy scan, we found out he had soft markers for Down syndrome. Okay. um, Which, again, was a whole new thing that I never crossed my mind. Mm -hmm. And the things and really awful things you realize that – beliefs you have yourself and I shouldn't say beliefs but assumptions Uh because then all of a sudden you look and think what is my life going to look like with a child who could have extremely high needs or could maybe just have very a a handful of challenges we don't know especially with that type of Mm -hmm. diagnosis literally can go from 
mild to severe. Yeah. Um, problems associated could be mild, mild to, to severe. Yeah. And it literally was like. And your mind tends to go to severe when you find out any diagnosis, doesn't it? And my, again, my background was I work, my only experience really with anyone um, day-to-day life who lives with Down syndrome or with older adults who also have Alzheimer's. Okay. So it, my ability to connect to the idea of having a young child, mm-hmm. a baby or a toddler or a eight-year-old was very hard for me mm-hmm. um, versus thinking of connecting with. with a, and also like the added aspect of uh, dementia is not the average person exactly. with Down syndrome, but exactly. that's what you've experienced. But that's my, and so I ended up, I started oh to God. reach out to people mm-hmm. and I met some really, really great moms who were willing to just talk to me about mm-hmm. the process, about what the next steps were. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like I explained, I'd like to kind of know what that, and not yeah. that I'm like a type, I don't consider myself really type A planning. It's more like, can I get an overview of what I'm walking into? So I'm not blindsided yeah being blindsided in anything can be like the worst factor almost I think um and so you kind of did you feel like you came to terms with that being a possibility and um felt prepared because you'd done all of that yeah we and as prepared again as prepared as we could and once you found out more details of that mild to severe thing you realized you couldn't prepare really for anything other than if we know ahead of time for health immediate health concerns okay um, and then we did opt though to go through the um, genetic testing uh-huh. um just blood testing we didn't opt we didn't need to do an amnio um which is synthesis. Like synthesis oh yeah yeah um because our all of our other testing came back normal and it was a very high um I can't remember the exact rate of mm-hmm. how con- sure they are with the results but they were quite sure and our choice wouldn't have changed either way at right. that point we knew that it was more just for our own um, understanding, understanding of your of yeah. your situation and based um, on where we live too um our birth because i'm from belleville mm-hmm. our birthplace would have to be a little different because the hospital wasn't equipped for potentially uh, okay and you're i assume at this point trying to have a home birth uh, or at a hospital yeah or yeah, yeah. okay but you still have like your birth vision and that's going to play into your yeah, scenario. Um, so tell us about what you was planning, giving all of this information. Okay. Um, I wanted to have an out of hospital VBAC. And so a VBAC stands for vaginal birth after cesarean. Mm-hmm. So this Pharaoh's birth would be my second VBAC um, because my yes. son had, we had a totally intervention free, drug free, um, be back in hospital in Saskatoon. So my plan was, I want to do this, but I don't want to be in hospital. Uh-huh. Um, I want to be at the midwife clinic. So our clinic in Belleville, um, they have a beautiful suite with a great big tub and a. So is it like a birth center? Similar, yeah, yeah, but it's right in their clinic, so they don't. Oh, right. So they don't operate it that so as a separate place. No, or multiple people. It's just one one space. So if somebody's in it, and then you're kind of out of luck. Yeah, okay. Or you could be at. It's a good option, though, for people who might be a bit further away from the hospital um, or just maybe don't live in a space that they feel they could really. Um, yeah, because that's that's a real thing, actually, I think, um, having the space in your home to yes. give birth. Yes, and the setup um, and the, yeah. And, and what you want it to be, because I'm planning a home birth, but the, the last time I was, like, in a very small bath and it didn't work and I didn't like giving birth on the bed, and if that was my only option, again, I think it would take me to the birth centre for sure and or 
just straight to the hospital. But with the hindsight of knowing that, I think it's possible to like make, I mean, I have plenty of space here, but to make a scenario in my house that is what I want. And especially if that's what you're planning for, not the, oops, mm-hmm. it's too late to. Yeah, which was, which was last time. Yeah. And also, you know, some, I'm, privileged that I'm in essentially a townhouse some people might be in a condo or I don't know sharing with family or it can be anything right like there's such an extreme scale of what a home looks like to somebody and whether there's physical and um a nice space to to be in that you feel safe in basically I like the idea of the clinic too just because again we have people at home um you know I knew as much as I value and love the idea of a home birth, I knew that my physical space at home wasn't really what was going to set me up for what I wanted. A hundred percent. So we were going to pursue the out of hospital birth at, um, at this minute. place. Yeah. But uh, being a VBAC where I am right now, there are a lot of um, constraints on our midwives and they okay. are limited from practicing within their full scope of practice. Okay. So that means um, it's a big no-no to deliver VBACs outside of hospital. Okay. Um, but if you've already had one, then it might be okay. Okay, so there's so, all these factors that you've got to figure yes, it out. Yes, and none of them are black and white factors. These are all things that... Discretionary. Yes, okay. um, mostly. And then, however, black and white would be, if I went into hospital, I would be an automatic transfer of care, which means I would go from my midwives being my primary care provider. So I'd have two midwives in hospital, checking baby, doing all of that, and no nursing staff, possibly one nurse kind of offering support. Uh My midwives are my care providers. Okay. However, because I've had a previous cesarean and in the hospital that I am local to me, VBACs are an automatic full transfer of care to an OB. Okay. Which looks very different it's completely different it's outrageous there's nothing to support that that would be a safer better outcome and it's well within my midwife scope of practice to provide care for me but that's the protocol exactly right so that was another reason why I did not want to be in hospital because I just didn't want to deal with it Uh Um, and I didn't want to deal with arguing about getting the things that I wanted or I didn't want, which a lot of them were um, saying no to routine procedures. So okay. what I kind of mentioned... You is, know that you're going to get more pushback, basically. Absolutely. And I've, I've worked in that space as a student. I've been present at births for other people in my life. And I was not okay with how everything proceeds. Okay. So what I did was um and it must be a fear factor at this point even if it, oh, wow. none of those things played out you know they're higher risk for you and they're important to you exactly and that's the thing when it comes down to it was I just wanted to be treated like a normal human being with a low risk pregnancy okay. which I was Got it. As a someone with a previous cesarean section, I am not high risk. Mm-hmm. There is no governing body that says that I'm high risk. Mm-hmm. So why on earth are you going to treat me like that? Right. Um, so what I did was I developed a very detailed care plan mm-hmm. um, in outlining my expectations of staff. Okay. If I were to come to hospital. Okay. So most people bring their birth plan with them when they're in active labor. However, I scheduled a pre-labor meeting with the social worker 
um, that nursing leadership and my midwives at the hospital in probably eight weeks before my due date. So I took this document, I had a meeting with them, which I scheduled adequate time for, and I went over exactly what I wanted to happen in terms of how I would be treated and what the consequences would be to the staff in the hospital if my expectations were not met. Okay, wow. So you're really mean business here. I took it next level because I've also been on that floor and I've watched someone's birth plan get thrown in the recycling bin crumpled, laughed at, and thrown in the garbage. And I said, I will be damned if I have to come here. Yeah. And that happens. So I will make... What a shame that that it's kind of laughed at in such a way. And not saying that it's every No, but I mean that that ever happened. It it exists, and I will not be the person that they do that to. Yeah. Um, And you're protecting yourself from, like, worst-case scenario at this point. Absolutely. Um, and I think a lot of people, they're like, oh, that's extreme. And the thing was, I never set anything in stone. It mm-hmm. was, these are the things I want. Yeah. If something changes. But you also are coming at it from a, a standpoint where you've seen someone be laughed at and put yeah. in recycling. And whilst I could sit here and have the fear that someone might be like, oh, God, it's another one of those women with mm-hmm. a piece of paper, like, ugh like that kind of attitude I haven't seen it I just might feel a bit stupid being too um caught up in what I think is important um and the worried of judgment essentially exactly and what I know though about our healthcare professionals is that you are governed by a a body the college mm -hmm. of nurses or the college of physicians who clearly state what your practice standards are uh-huh. and give clear cut rules of how you are to behave and how are you to conduct yourself and how are you to provide care to patients uh-huh. and making someone feel judged is a definite violation of those practice standards. Right. But most patients don't know that. Also, I think a lot of the time we feel like we're inconveniencing everybody yes. Yes. and that shouldn't be the case. Like you just said, I think, um, Oh, how did you phrase it? Uh, that it was extreme or whatever. But uh, why should we go around thinking that um, we're a nuisance? And especially when all I am asking you to do is to do your job properly yeah. as laid out yeah. by. And you're doing it in a respectful way. You're not you're just outlining the obvious almost exactly which some people might consider to be annoying or whatever but people think it's radical actually like some people think that asking or not even asking telling them how I would be cared for was way out and I think people really forget that we are paying for our health care and some people are outright paying for it uh I've the last time when I gave birth to Cub and I took my um my pack to the hospital to register mm-hmm. the woman in front of me um I don't know where she was from and it resonated with me because um I'll, my visa is always running out at a time <laughs> I'm about to give birth or hasn't kicked in it's just an annoying and like a factor of our situation <laughs> but she was like saying well you know I only just arrived here and my OHIP hasn't kicked in and she was visibly about to give birth in days Anyhow, long story short, they were explaining the costs of each procedure. And I've been in that scenario for 
uh, Phoenix's birth where we would go to the, the the financial department every time, hand over your insurance, and they'd talk about costs of things before they talk about what you might need. So if you're paying for it, like quite literally, like a C-section is obviously the most expensive, and even things that don't play out to be like your in your control or for example for me with phoenix i had a dnc that cost money i did not want that um i somebody trying to remove my placenta caused that but it also causes like a three grand bill increase or whatever it was it was around that figure so those people are quite literally paying for it and our government is paying for it if not and we're paying i'm paying for it yes and i think that's the piece where if as talking to millennial parents especially right this kind of age group between mm-hmm. a little bit younger than me and a little bit older than you like and what if that's know, taken away or limited or I think whatever we, we would not put up with being treated like this in any other industry that's anywhere true. you wouldn't go to mcdonald's or starbucks <laughs> and let someone roll their eyes at you and tell you oh no you don't want your chocolate mocha or your or even as simple as the dentist where you're having more of a uh, an active choice in who you go see and so on. And I am a big, like I a hundred percent believe in universal healthcare. I don't support, I don't like the idea of a privatized system, but what I speak to about our universal healthcare system is that we are still consumers and mm-hmm. we still have a voice and you still have a right to be heard. Mm-hmm. And because your, your experience matters. And I would like to tell people figure out how to navigate that. And that's why Pharaoh's birth story and how I really, really, really did that groundwork before. Because my birth plan, which most people call a birth plan, I call a care plan, mm-hmm. was on my chart before I got to the hospital. So if I had to go, they would know I'm coming. They were able to know then what nurses to match me with. So I wouldn't have... So it's actually you know, a really valuable thing to do. hugely valuable. If you can get past... Uh, the concept of feeling like we're all a nuisance exactly and that was the part that where I I waffled back and forth myself and I thought oh, this is stupid why on earth would I you must have got a lot of like pushback um from like both your own self and if you said that to someone else yeah my husband was on board with it because he knew how important it was to me and he knew to, needed to know where his boundaries were Mm because I mentioned he's good at protecting space and I Mm -hmm. knew if it came down to it if I looked at him and I said Dwayne I want no one in this bathroom no one would have been able to come through a bathroom door like I feel like no one's gonna want to mess with him (laughs) period and like actually it's totally this was related to Orion's birth we were talking about doing a water birth at the hospital long story short they said like it's fine dad can be in the tub but he has to get out like for pushing it's I said what happens like if he doesn't want to and the midwife kind of was like what I said well just say he's in there and he's really in the moment if he doesn't want to get out of the tub and she's like well we'll see what happens then and I'm picturing like him just refuse flat out refusing yeah what are they gonna do carry him out yeah but no he's he was so good at um I want I'm not someone who needs that hands-on support and the I like a cold cloth I need a drink lip chap leave me alone but make sure that I feel safe because I know you're hovering there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so he knew what I wanted. And then um, everything went completely left as it normally does. Uh So as much as I wanted to have that clinic birth in their big, beautiful tub, um, 
probably a, over a week before my due date. Mm-hmm. It was a Saturday. Uh-huh. We were like, oh, okay, let's run to Kingston. So we're in Belleville. Kingston's about like 15 minutes away, like an hour, a little bit less. Um, I can still remember what I'm wear- I wore. I wore a stretchy H&M uh, cheetah print or leopard print dress, like Love very it. loud, big giant <laughs> belly. I had tights on. And our two boys were with us and we went to Red Lobster for lunch. Uh-huh. I, I had it like, <laughs> and on our way there, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, great. Like these aren't contractions, but man, these Braxton Hicks are really getting like intense. intense. Yeah. I could almost, you could almost see them. Like they were so strong, but they didn't hurt. They just felt uncomfortable because I could literally feel them squeezing the baby against me. And sometimes your tummy kind of goes square, doesn't it? Where mm-hmm. the, the muscles have like contracted into a certain shape or something. And so I knew that things felt different, yeah, but not like, like this isn't labor different. So we're good. Keep going. I literally had like a giant feast of um, their Cajun Alfredo pasta, <laughs> nice. like as many biscuits as I could hold. Remember going to the bathroom once and then coming back and still feeling like kind of funny, but not again, not by any means thinking that was the day he was coming. And so we finish up, we go to the car. Um, my husband hops in the front and I'm helping our toddler. Well, I guess he's a preschooler Uh at that time up into a seat. So we have a Jeep, like Mm -hmm. a a Wrangler. So I'm, I'm reaching up kind of to help buckle him in. And I felt like a trickle and I was like, Oh, but then I'm thinking like, is it my water? Like it wasn't a gush, but I was like, uh, but then I thought I had a, a I had a false alarm earlier that week, so I was trying not to get too into it. So I finished buckling him in. I'm walking around the car, and every step I'm taking, I'm like, "Oh no, it's still coming." Yeah, at that point, you know, it's not a weak bladder situation, um, right? Keep in mind, our the Jeep was brand new to fit all of these car seats. We got it in December. This is I hope February. The seats were leather. No, no, they were cloth. Oh and no. I get on the front seat, and my husband's the kind of person like when we're in, he's driving. Like yeah. He, he doesn't have a plan where we're going next. We're getting out of this parking lot. So as so I had you said down, anything to him? No, I just was trying to get the words out that I think my water broke. But then as he's driving, I'm like, it's still coming. It's still coming. He's oh like, my what God. The? He's thinking the baby's coming. And I'm wow. like, no, no, no. I'm like, you need to pull over. At this point. Our new car needs not to yeah. be covered in whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Amniotic fluid at this point. And. So as we're leaving this parking lot, he's already out of the parking lot as I'm getting these words out. So he turns the next corner and we turn into an apartment building um, uh, parking lot. And it looks dark. There's trees all around. There's buildings on either side. It looked pretty quiet. So he looks <laughs> into a spot and I hop out and like I'm just standing beside the car in my dress. I have leotards, like nylons on. Right. And I can <laughs> feel it just gushing out of me like it's acting like a net probably i look down there is thick meconium in my water and i mean it looks like i had the most violent like attack of diarrhea in this apartment building parking lot literally poor thing so you're in the wow this is like a murder scene almost our door is open and i'm kind of standing and facing into the vehicle So whoever's behind me can only really see my back or nothing or kind of the side of my body. I don't look pregnant from behind. Uh So I'm hiking up my dress. I'm pulling off my tights to like try to figure out what is going on really. Like I know, but I wanted to see if there's anything else. Yeah. 
And then Dwayne's like, get in the car. Get. He's wanting to get home because he's thinking I'm having this baby right now. Yeah. He's trying to find like a plastic bag or something because we still have to get back to Belleville. My midwives are in Belleville. Oh, and so you're, you're, I'm forgetting you're so far away. Yeah, so we're about an hour. So not too, but far enough that we need to get. Feels things. like far in yeah. this in this uh, moment. <laughs> so I have my dress like hiked up. My tights are just pulled down. I've left them on the ground. And as I'm climbing into the Jeep to get going, I notice out of the corner of my eye that there are people in the vehicle next to us and they've just seen this entire thing of oh my me God. like gushing out this poopy amniotic fluid, which they don't probably know is amniotic fluid. No, they, they probably think, belly. oh God, that poor woman's got terrible diarrhea. She's having a nightmare. In our parking lot. And then I still to this day wonder, I'm like, where did they go after and who did they tell that story? Yeah. Like, like you're so never going to guess what we just saw. <laughs> we got all like piled in after that. They backed out. I was like, oh my God, these poor people. Um, <laughs> and I get on the phone to the midwife and we just start driving back to Melville. So I don't have any contractions at this point. Okay. So you make it back. Yeah. We made it back in time. We made it to the house. My mom met us there, got our other kids. At this point, I'm starting to feel some cramps, but not anything crazy mm-hmm. um and keep but it- you're aware you're kind of in you are in labor things okay. are starting to head I could tell it's it's different now um, but my other two um when I traveled to hospital I was like in transition or like heavy heavy labor when I arrived at the hospital so I was like completely out of it I didn't take in the hospital part okay my previous births whereas this one like I took a picture in front of the hospital because I wasn't like having those back to back to back contractions. I was able to, you know, get comfortable. A bit more conscious almost. Yeah, and get set up and I was able to get things out of my bag that I wanted that I'd actually packed versus it being a complete shit show when we get there. And, and like, not the feeling baby's quite so there. chaotic in this scenario. So even though um, I ended up having to get a bunch of interventions that I initially didn't want at all, um, it was did you feel comfortable I did because I knew that I said like this is the situation that things can change in I'm no longer that perfect example of healthy happy normal this isn't an emergency but I know in this situation Mm -hmm. that I would I'm comfortable with some more things okay um they did give me pitocin which again, I look back and I think I probably maybe could have waited because I was getting my own contractions, but I also knew that I really wanted to get things moving too. Yeah. So they were able to give me a low, I think I ended up maybe with two or four. Um, but by the time they got everything, oh, sorry, um, okay. everything started, um, I was feeling my own contractions starting. So it was just kind of to... To kind of boost you yeah. almost. Um, and because it was thick meconium, we really didn't know why he did that and it's apparently something my babies do I was gonna say it seems yeah. almost like yeah a, a theme or like something your body's and allowing I'm, to happen or I don't know I have my babies all around 39 weeks too and they're done done okay at that point so whatever reason it is what it is but so I ended up with those interventions so I had Pitocin I had the IV I had continuous monitoring um, but my care team knew what my goals were they knew that I didn't want those things initially because I wanted to be moving or because I wanted the freedom and they were able And you had your midwife there, right? I had my midwife still. Uh-huh. So even though it was a total transfer of care, my midwives were there. My nursing staff were staff that worked well with the midwives. Yeah. They knew what my needs were long before. 
um, the physician who was on happened to be one that I was okay with because it was one that I really, really didn't want. And that was going to be a whole other bag of whatever. Yeah. Um, but by the time I trying to, I can't even remember the timeline, but he, I think we were like less than four hours from the time I got hooked up to the time that he was born. Uh-huh. Um, things moved really quickly and I ended up staying in the bed. That was my biggest like fear was being stuck in a bed, but I ended up, I was choosing it almost because even my nurses and my midwives were like, we can get you off the monitor. Do you want to go to the bathroom? And like trying to give me opportunities and really encouraging it. But I was able to just, it was a comfy spot the way I, and I had music and I zoned out. Um, That's so interesting that um, like feeling like you have choice and feeling really prepared actually makes the opposite of what you want fine um not to say that there could have been a scenario where that could have been more difficult or things might have played out differently but just the it seems to me like the choice was what changed it would I be right in saying that yeah and I would say that the choice and knowing that the people in the room were there to support my choices yeah so you're not being pushed into it yes it's like they're like oh here you go you can get off the bed but it's up to you rather than maybe in a different scenario you'd be stuck on it and then you feel like yeah and that's quite a subtle difference it is and it's sometimes it's just the words that someone said the way someone says something to you um and the same I remember or offering it at all exactly and the check the same with cervical checks the way I was not a hard no on them, but I didn't want more than I I had to have. One reason being um, I'm always GBS positive, which is group B strep positive. So limiting the number of cervical checks helps limit introduction of infection related to that. Um, As well as they're not comfortable. I find like... Yeah, some people hate them. They just throw me off. Um, So I didn't want more than I needed. And what I felt I needed was when I wanted to know. (laughs) Other than that, no one needs to know. Um, and also whether you you ask them to pass on the information because I only really have ever wanted to know how many centimetres I am if it's a high number. <laughs> Don't yeah. tell me I'm two. There's no point. Like, yeah. Tell me when I'm like six and above. And it was the one nurse she said, <clears throat> uh, she's looking at the clock and she was off shift at seven and I want to say it was like 10 to six. And she's like, well, you're so- things are sounding a bit different, meaning mm-hmm. the noises I'm making and the way I'm coping with um, the pain and stuff. And she said, mm-hmm. I'm off at seven. She said, would you be open to getting checked in like the next 15 minutes just to see where you're at? Okay. And the way she put it out there, I was totally cool with that because I knew if I said no, yeah, I probably would get some pushback, but I wasn't feeling like she's telling me I have to do that. And also she's kind of telling you the whole situation, which is I'm going. Yeah. And like, so was, it might be someone else. And like, hint, hint, they might react differently or I don't know. Or even as just like that nurse, it's like, okay, I, it's like, I got lots of charting or I'm going to have to chart this and fit it in before the end of my shift. So if you decide at 10 two, without saying that, for yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. reason, it, she approached it really well. And I said, Shh, like, yeah. And then the next like two minutes, I was like, don't check me now. Cause it went like, I felt different. Mm-hmm. I was pretty much 10 centimeters at that point. And I want to highlight that. No one had checked me. Maybe when I got there and I was like four centimeters or so. Okay. So in that time, to get to 10 centimeters, no one needed to put their hands in my vagina to tell me how I was doing. 
Right. They were able to pick up from your the, obvious cues or outside that, of that. Oh, we're getting closer. And sure enough. And I think that part is so neat that our care providers, they have these skills and they have that intuition, but they often, I think, get used to using certain ways of knowing mm-hmm. versus like, it's hard to chart. Oh, she made different noises. I think she's in transition. You can't, that's not how you do it. It's not uh, an obvious um, or, um, or something you've write down. It's yeah. Not, it's, it's yeah. Subjective. Yeah. Um, versus like, we know those subjective observations usually well, they are, certainly do have the experience to notice for exactly. the most part and so it turns out I was like almost ready and she's like oh but he's really high they called the doctor in he checked me at that point mm-hmm. um again same said the same thing but he's like oh he's like he's the baby's really high and he's facing the wrong way mm-hmm. and just the way that he said it was like oh this is gonna take a while and then he's mm-hmm. like oh and how big was your last baby was nine pounds and he's like do you think this one's bigger and I'm like, I think I actually was like I don't effing know like I was yeah, so yeah. mad I'm like Why that you? was not the time to ask me this sir and you don't want to know about how big they are at this point you want to hear them say like don't worry this they're gonna slide out and so as he's like so he's taking his gloves off and he just gave me that feel his vibe was like we're gonna be in for a, this is yeah like at 10 but because it took me three hours of waiting at 10 centimeters and then three hours of pushing my V-back baby. Right. So it was a lot. So you had the foresight. And I was just like, there's, in my head, I thought there's no way I can do this for another six hours thinking back to Orion's birth because it was a different experience. I was in a, just medications and bed and all of that. I rolled over in like a temper tantrum, just like from my, I rolled onto my right side and threw my left leg kind of over top yeah, and grabbed onto the side rail just to kind of have a, like hide my face, have a moment. And when I did that, I literally felt Pharaoh turn inside of me wow. and drop. And I got the biggest urge to push. And like, I gave one good big push. And then I was like, I think he's coming. My wow. midwife checked, he was crowning and then I think I pushed maybe one more time, um, active, like a thoughtful push. And then my body did the rest of it. Wow. Which was so, 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 so cool. Going from that three hours of hard, hard, hard pushing. To I wonder like, if that part of your body just knew you needed to do that. That's. I think between um, that. I oh, think- it was just like pure stroke of luck that you. It's actually, a man- there's like an actual maneuver called a sideline release. Um, that some midwives use or doulas use, which is sim- like the same kind of idea. process. Yeah. yeah. Um, Did you I, know about that, or I is it just it like? Before, but it was purely a temper tantrum role. Was all okay. I was doing. Like, so it was uh, just a by yeah. chance. And yeah, and wow. Out he. Um, so they got the doctor came back and like he was still on the floor, like he barely left the room. He was very surprised, and I remember <laughs> him telling me, "He's like, oh, you, you like stop pushing," and I'm like, I'm not pushing yeah like literally not this trying baby it with is this. Coming he's just out. coming out on his own and it I thought it was like a fake thing I've heard people talk about um that it's called a fetal ejection reflex basically like that your yes uterus and is... they talk about this a lot in hypnobirthing don't they that like mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm right in saying this but the same concept of like you if you have a poo <laughs> and you get so far it's not you can't you don't have control over whatever it's coming out anymore yeah. your body takes over pretty much and that's yeah. meant to be the same um feeling and or process where 
you're too far in and yeah like it's or they're too far out actually is more of the point your uterus is the strongest muscle in your body which is Mm -hmm. kind of an interesting fact and it can push a baby out Mm -hmm. however we know there's also other factors that can influence that like and I think or limit it I'm exactly and the the tipping point for me was I went to pelvic floor physio after my second birth um because of I was having symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction and I knew that I wanted to get that fixed. So, um, I went to see her and it ended up, I had a lot of internal, um, tension on my right side and internally on my right hip, which was the side that my little baby kept getting stuck on as I was pushing. And so I went for a lot of like internal, um, muscle release stuff, um, after his birth. And then I went to a pelvic floor physiotherapist during my birth or not during my birth, but my pregnancy, <laughs> sorry, yep. with Pre-birth, yeah. Um, I went to Cairo and I went to massage. I think, um, I can't say which one of those, I think really good therapeutic massage with someone who's doing like proper deep tissue stuff can make a huge difference. Um, and I think the pelvic to your pelvic floor. Yeah. Or just pain in general. But okay, I think okay. um, I was having a lot of like lower back pain uh, and hip stuff. And then that pelvic floor piece of either internal work or just practicing with your breathing. Um, because once you learn how to really like work with your pelvic floor, so breathe and relax versus hold and squeeze. Tense, yeah. Um, I think that was what made it so much easier because that pushing experience was not hold your breath and count for 10. Yeah. It was polar opposite of relax and wait for him to come out. Wow. And I, yeah. well, it just goes to show how valuable um, a pelvic floor yeah, uh, healthcare uh, is to anybody pre post or otherwise. Yeah, they wow. Hugely. So but yeah, I've heard of that a lot about that in uh, hypnobirthing. I, I I don't think I've experienced it, but um, the science of it makes sense to me. Um, I just think sometimes, like you say, it might not actually be doing you any good if you are tense or yeah, or, have or, or people are shouting at you to push or you're in a high and stress environment or whatever, right? Um, oh, interesting. Once I felt it, I knew it was possible. And that, I think, was the coolest part. It was like, oh, people aren't making this up. Like, I yeah, really yeah. I have heard, yeah, I have now, actually felt it for myself. Compared to that extreme of that, like, three hard hours of. But the babies were also two very different babies. And, so. I, and I wonder as well if it's a scale, too, because I've never had to push for very long. I don't feel like I've experienced what you're, exactly what you're describing, but maybe it's closer to because I didn't have to push for very long really at all in any of my births. Uh, so, yeah, it's, in, it's, it's interesting to – you only know what you feel, right? So Exactly. And that was, I think, going from that first birth of a C-section and feeling so empty after and so alone and so just not knowing – really what happened how this baby came into my life pretty much like plunk to pharaoh's birth after all of that other stuff that happened and i just like he literally i did the work i got him out of me i kept myself um safe Mm -hmm. in terms of i did the work i needed to to protect did you feel happy with your experience even though it wasn't um your preference 100 percent. amazing i think it was um I felt amazing after in terms of just my own mood 
um, I felt really accomplished, uh-huh. um, not because it was a vaginal birth. And I think that's the part I always have to yeah. keep saying to people that was not it. Because uh, if you look at it from an outsider, it wasn't a marvelous vaginal birth. It wasn't, you know, it also wasn't your home birth that you'd planned. Not at all. But or I hoped for, sorry. No, Exactly. But I had people in the room who believed in me. They, um, they respected me. Um, and at the end of that, you can leave feeling like you can go and be a parent, mm-hmm. right. Rather than leaving, feeling like you're a child. That's just that's been, interesting. Yeah. You know, just gotten in trouble, but here, take your child and now hope for the best. But yeah, yeah that's really, really interesting. Like mindset as a result of uh not circumstance because what happened is sort of irrelevant really but um how you advocate for yourself I suppose yeah it's yeah that's fascinating to me that those subtleties have such a big difference on how you felt when um it might seem that your goal was quite extreme or that your goal was like this pedestal of home birth and you didn't get that but like you were okay with it which is this it's ultimately like the most important thing because I think I'm for me in this scenario of doing the podcast I don't want to be like this is the best way that's the best way everyone should do this everyone should do that um it's more the that feeling or that explanation that you're coming up with is what everyone wants to walk away with regardless because we don't actually have as much as I'm sat here saying I want to have a home birth I think it's going to happen really quickly because I had another quick birth and I've got two kids and I don't logistically want to go to the hospital I could have a c-section next week because the baby's upside down and I don't know like I don't know and I think if we like my ultimate goal I guess to I don't know if I'm going to articulate this the right way but is to show people that it's not about the the mode of delivery, mode of birth, be yeah. it surgical, be it... It's not their mode of transport to you. No, it's the feeling at the end of it and how you can walk away. How are you as a person? I was just listening to a podcast called Under the Hood and they talked about birth as a rite of passage uh-huh. and comparing the two. And I, I see it very similarly because it's at the end of it, it's feelings that you get to take away and keep with you for the rest of your life. And I would rather your birth be a peak than a valley. And I yes. think you deserve it to be a peak instead of a valley. That, and that's, I think, so important because I've actually read a few stories where people have uh, had their birth described as traumatic mm-hmm. by a third party because they've experienced whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have felt what you've said because of either the foresight they've had to do similar thing to yourself or just the way they have experienced it and ultimately that's the best we can all wish for I think um and if you're able to provide a service that assists that then I think that's incredibly valuable and something that should be like weaved into the systems that we're paying for because no doubt it would save a lot of money can you imagine in a perfect world if we didn't have to have any sort of like trauma counseling after or let's start with trauma-informed care from the get-go so we're treating people the right way to get you know yeah and when one what's the statistic one in four one in three women have experienced some sort of 
just sexual assault, never mind even domestic. It, we need to be thinking that one in three of our patients in the hospital or one of three of our midwife clients uh-huh. have experienced that. Yeah. And this could be really, really tough for them. And also just trauma is so subjective because I hear a lot like, oh, mine wasn't that bad, but it's like, but how did you feel about it? So it doesn't really matter. Yeah, exactly. And the Or even with home birth too, like there's obviously that expectation that that's idyllic. And I can definitely say that with mine with Cub, there was a turning point where had that turning point lasted a longer period of time, I think... I was very scared in that moment, but realistically, I had a baby within minutes, and, that's and it was time and that's really normal. Scared. And I, yeah, it's normal, and I felt great. But in that moment, I very distinctively remember thinking, "If this goes on for hours, like I'm never doing this again. Like this is awful," you know. That was my um, like, temper tantrum moment, right? It's like, yeah. yeah, and it played out well for us. But to feel unsafe in those moments, whether you're at home or in a hospital or, or on a section table then that's and that's often the time where um you know things go left in that very vulnerable time when you are scared it's about seven centimeters to nine centimeters that transition time that literally you your brain is it's different yeah and how do you know whether that's whether you're transitioning or whether you're just in a fear state you don't know that at the time I feel like it's well for me it was an afterthought to be like Oh, of course I was just about to have a baby, but you often aren't expecting to have one in three hours. So Exactly. So go figure, yeah, I don't know. Hindsight's wonderful, whether it's in birth or otherwise, <laughs> or like even just your own parenting decisions where you're like, uh, <laughs> wish I'd never said that to anyone before I had a child who did X. Um, so tell us about afterwards. What was the sort of single thing that someone did to help you post well, I suppose post Pharaoh's birth because um, I usually yeah, I can't my I my mother-in-law you put. Oh, um, yes, um, my mother. That is not an answer I get often. No, and you know what? My family were fantastic. They mm-hmm. took our older boys a lot, um, but they're not much of baby people. Okay, they don't keep the. My two older boys were exclusively breastfed. Never took a bottle, so I think I kind of scarred them with like crying screaming angry babies yeah and also it's a it's a um limiting factor to how much someone can help if they want your boob exactly and Um, then for my parents too they taking the older boys was great because then they got a break from the baby so it worked out well but my mother-in-law would keep pharaoh um overnight she did a couple times um er, like early on within the first probably few like four months Uh um and my husband and I were able to go out. We went downtown. We stayed at a hotel overnight. And oh my god, that sounds like just, bliss! It was so much fun because it's wondering like, if I could get my in-laws to do that in a few it, weeks. It, it felt <laughs> so rebellious, right? Because you're like, oh, I, we literally have a new baby, but we're out. Yeah, but and good I, for you. Part of it, I had a really great easy delivery that I bounced back. Phys- and I, when I say bounce back, I don't mean like the whole everything but not the snapback no but I felt culture but yeah good physically good and physically able to go out and do some of those things um it kind of sucked though a few months after I ended up with some really nasty like chronic pain issues but those like you had this idyllic time where you was able to amazing and I am that's great ever be grateful for her too and also I think when you have two kids like you kind of dream of that um one-on-one time with your husband let alone three yeah. one being a newborn um that's like real precious time even if you hadn't just had a baby and so what a you, gift you need to take that 
right around the time you've had recently had a baby to kind of look at what you just did. You know, yeah. Because when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to appreciate that you have three beautiful, healthy kids now because you're wiping and, noses and butts and and also it's like any other thing you do in life, you would go celebrate uh, if you wasn't physically inhibited to do so. Like if you got engaged or I don't know, whatever yeah. it is that's a celebration in your life or a new job or something, you'd be like, oh, come on, let's just go out. But who does that after a baby? Do you know what I mean? But that's exactly. such a big thing. And like with so, our oldest, we didn't go out until he was almost a year. Yeah, and I so, can't remember now, yeah, but yeah, just a different outlook, and I will always be appreciative. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. I I want I want your mother-in-law to come around to do that for me. <laughs> So, as my luck would have it, here's a little bit of reality for you. I've been having a lot of troubles with my hosting site. It keeps deleting the ends of recordings. And seeing as myself and most of my guests are mums and time is scarce, it's unfortunate, but I'm having to jump in and re-record the last bit of Emily's episode, uh, which are her finishing questions. So, I'm, I'm giving these answers in and on behalf of Emily, so here we go. These are the these are the answers she sent me. So with the finishing questions, the moment of motherhood that has most stuck out to Emily and made her laugh is I can really relate to this. How many times a day she has to say, in quotes, "Put your penis away." She has had to say it a lot, as she states here. Probably the state of my kids' hair on the regular also makes her laugh a lot. I can also attest to that. I feel like I get a lot of people passing comment having a boy with such long hair. Either obviously they think that Cub is a boy, um, a girl, or people seem to need to tell me or make a comment about why it's so long and why I haven't cut it. The put your penis away thing told me a very funny story about this that I won't be able to recount as well as she told me. But yeah, I think as a mum of mostly boys, it's certainly something I hear myself saying more often than I'd imagined. And if she had one piece of advice that she would give herself pre-kids, it would be the following. It's totally different when someone is paying you to care for their children. You will not be able to manage even one of your children the way you can care for some four of someone else's that you're being paid to watch. I think that is so true. As mothers, we're always having to do something else, multitask, think about a million one things in a day. And when you're watching somebody else's children and it's your job and you're paid to do it, I do feel it's a different sort of thing where you're so focused and that's your job and you can completely switch off to the other things going on around you that you just simply can't as a mother. And I know that I have had to take that advice myself sometimes and it's good to step away to get some help and come back. So I think that's really great advice that Emily is giving us there. Last one is, if she had a day without kids, what would she do? She has put here, 100% a dog day. She would go shopping for dog training clothes and accessories for herself. Shopping for dog gear and training toys. Train with a bucket list trainer. Um, exercise, hike in Algonquin Park pretty much be alone with her dog essentially she's a real dog person as I sure you can hear from this answer I feel like I'm not doing Emily's roundup questions 
sort of justice here, but needs must. And I just want to finish by saying how important it is for, sorry, not how important, how important, well, I think it's really important that we had this conversation today and everything that Emily has expressed about the different facets of her journey. And I want to say a huge thank you to her for taking the time. She drove all the way into Toronto to come see me to do this recording because ironically enough, I was having problems with recording when we tried to do this remotely. So I want to say thank you again for her taking so much of her time away to do this, for being so honest and frank, and for all the work that she does now to support other mother, other mothers. And don't forget to go and enter the giveaway, because if you are a new mum, or sorry, about to be a new mum, and you want to kind of own your birth, and be empowered to do so her course is incredible for people in that situation or if you're a second time mum maybe and you have fear around birth or you still don't feel educated having already have a birth having had three very different births myself very recently having birthed a child just six weeks ago at the point I'm recording this I feel like that education just is so important because you really think, well, speaking for myself here, that having had two births go in a particular way, that you kind of think you have some control over the next ones. And whilst you do have a bit of control on how you react to situations, my experience so far has been that with the third birth, I sort of thought I knew it all and that it was going to go this way and that way and this was going to happen and that was going to happen. And actually, None of those things happened and it was completely out of my control. And sometimes babies just come into the world however they want to. So with that being said, don't forget to go sign up for her giveaway because it's incredible. Um, Emily, your story is fascinating, eye-opening, and I really resonate with so much of what you've said here. So thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. um, And thank you to everybody for listening. This podcast would be nothing without you all. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. It means a lot to me and all the guests involved because bearing your soul and opening your heart to tell your birth story is sometimes a really difficult thing. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe and also enter this week's giveaway to a chance to win something fab just for yourself. Thanks for listening and allowing the guests of the podcast to have their voice and their story heard. Forever grateful, Franny.